for better or for worse. Okay, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. So Jesus is going to teach us how to pray. Right? So, so pray like this. He says, pray like this, that our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen? Now, how many of you have this memorized? Just by show of hands. Yes. Yeah, and this is the kind of prayer that even unbelievers, people that don't go to church, they've heard this prayer before, right? Lead us not into temptation. Uh, uh, hallowed, like all these kind of words. You guys, I'm sure you use hallowed a lot in your language, in your, your, your nine-to-five job. I'm sure Marines always use the word hallowed, right? That uh, seems like a very, very cool word to say. But this is a very... Uh, deceptively simple prayer, but this thing has a lot of power. And I want to get into this, why Jesus chose what he did. Right, so uh, let me give you the next slide. So if you haven't memorized this, this is actually a very beautiful, it's, it's a poem, right? And it's organized in sets of three. So the first half of the prayer involves God. It says, we're calling your name, your kingdom, and your will. Can you see that? So we've got, we got three. And then the next three, give us, forgive us lead us. Can you see that? So I am going to uh, propose today, if you haven't heard this, you should be doing this prayer daily, or a version of this prayer daily. And we're going to walk through what this looks like, and why on earth would Jesus have us to pray this prayer? So if you've been with us a while, so all of last year we went through the book of John, right? So we went line by line through John, we read every text, we, we spoke about the text. And we wrapped up the year, and then we went right into 1 John, right? Because, like, hey, we're, John is already on our brains, right? Let's do this. And John writes three letters. You know the name of the three letters? 1 John. 1 John, 2 John. Yeah, hey, there you go. I have to give you some softball so you feel like a Bible scholar right now, right? So I'm pumping you up. And do you know the, the last one he wrote in the Bible? Revelation, yeah. So our plan is to actually go into Revelation. But what we thought is because we're in a deployment season where people are getting orders. We have people coming in and people going out. That is not a book you want to walk in halfway in the middle of, right? If you show up to a church for the first time and you're in chapter 11 on Revelation, you're probably not going to come back. So what we decided is like, hey, let's, let's talk about some other things for a season and get everyone on the same page. And so I was praying, and we, we talked about this verse last week in our Bible study. And this verse is just so incredible. Like, I have a big problem with Bible studies. If you can imagine, I talk way too much. And Bible studies, uh, life groups, are meant for everybody to contribute, right? Like, ideally, everybody's talking about it. And you actually learn a lot because everyone has different worldviews. They've grown up differently. They read the scripture differently. And so it's really refreshing to hear somebody that, like, oh, this is what this verse means to me and why. And I, I just learned a ton. But again, my problem is I get so excited about the Bible is I'm over there fidgeting the entire time, waiting to speak. It's just a, it's a terrible curse. So anyways, we read this, and then this prayer wouldn't leave me be for like the entire week. I call this, I'm going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. So, I'm proposing to you, you sh if you ha don't have this memorized, this should be the first thing you memorize. I, I would do this, because you're going to see the importance of this prayer. And learning little tricks like this, on how to memorize it. Like, it's the three God, three us, right? And, and that's a great start for today, and then tomorrow you can work on learning the three words about God. But this prayer is also rooted in what Jesus said was the greatest commands. Give me the next scripture. 
Look at this. Jesus is asked a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Next verse. He said, this is the, the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Lee, give me again the next slide. Look at this. The Lord's Prayer is organized to focus on these two great commands. So let's look at the, uh, the prayer again. Love God. The first three uh, things we're praying about is how God wants to be loved. This is how we love God, right? We're praying for his name to be hallowed. We're praying for his kingdom, and we're praying for his will. How do we love people? Provision, their bread, right? Forgiveness and deliverance. From evil. Amen? So we can see here now the, the plot thickens that everything Jesus does, he's driving, always driving something. And the reason why I mentioned at the beginning, we just went through John and 1 John, is because if you had to sum up those books, those of you that have read it, what is John's big thing? Love. That's what he's all about, right? We, you shall know you belong to God because you have love for one another. Amen? Amen. Do people know we belong to God because we go to church? No, no, that's exactly right. Because there's a lot of people that go to church, but do they belong to God? Do they act like it? No. We belong to Him because we have love for one another. And not only each other as Christians, but love for who else? The world. The world, our enemies, our neighbors, right? And I know you're thinking, the Bible says don't love the world. Not that world, right? We're talking other people. That's right. God loves His creation. Amen? Amen. This is what Christianity should look like. But the world sees Christianity as a group of hypocritical, judgmental people, don't they? Like if you had to think about what does the world think about a Christian right now? What is, a, what is an American that doesn't go to church? What do they think about Christians? Do they think this is a group of people that just loves people? Unfortunately not. We're moving in the wrong direction as a church sometimes, right? Where those with the loudest voice are driving us in the wrong direction. Now these things will happen, friends, right? There's not a lot we can do. But what we can do is be true disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen? Where he says, love her. Pray for those who persecute you. Right? These are commandments. This is how, this is how the world will know who really belongs to the glory of God. Amen? That when people tear you down and abuse you and malign you and say all these terrible things, you love them back. Right? We don't, we don't return a curse for a curse. We love people. So this prayer here, to keep us on track, is going to help orient us every single day to remind us of these things, right? So if you remember that the Lord's Prayer is rooted in this idea of being able to fulfill the greatest two commandments of what Jesus said, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And in case I haven't been very clear, who's your neighbor? Everyone that you come in contact is your neighbor friend. Because Jesus tells these wonderful parables. You remember the, uh, the Good Samaritan? You know, this guy was robbed and beaten and left for dead in the road. Uh, right, a Jew, and then a Samaritan came and took care of him and bandaged And Jesus said, who was this guy's neighbor? Who was his brother? Who was the guy who took care of him? Right? It wasn't his fellow Jews. It was the guy who loved him and took care of him. Okay? okay, so let's get on with this. Next slide, please, sir. Okay, so what I want to do is, uh, this is not going to, obviously, it's only there's six points, right? So I kind of want to talk about these and maybe fill in some gaps you, you might have and and hopefully some of you on the importance of making this a part of your daily prayer life. So the first thing is our Father. This, uh, for whatever reason, Jesus felt the need to tell us to think about who we are praying to. 
right? If you think about it, we, we can leave this off. But part of our daily prayer life is that we are addressing our prayers to someone. Amen? So the first thing we're looking at is our Father. Now, in the Old Testament, God sometimes we refer to as Father, but not nearly as much as what happens in the New Testament, right? Jesus sometimes calls God, God, but Jesus' preferred title for God is what? Father. Father, Father, right? He's praying to the Father. So this idea of this personal relationship. So the world has lots of gods, and God is a very nebulous term. Like, if you go to work tomorrow, and you say, what do you think about God? Who knows what you're going to get, right? What God are we talking about, right? The Hindu God, the Muslim God, the Christian God, the Jewish God, right? The Bible calls Satan the God of this world. Did you know that? Have you ever heard that before? That the Bible refers to him as the God of this world. All sorts of gods. But this prayer says, our Father in heaven. Okay? Well, that also seems nebulous. But if you think about the Bible and what Jesus knows about the Bible, there was a point in time when heaven and earth were the same place. Because heaven is wherever God is. Did you know that? So if we go back to the Garden of Eden, it's a spot where God and man lived together. Right? God walked in the garden, and man and his wife were there. Right? And so this idea that it was just everything was one, because we're going to pray about the kingdom, and this is all married. But what happens is, is when God is there, heaven is there with him. Right? That's why Moses, when he showed up with Moses, he said, take your sandals off. Why? You're on holy ground. Like God is, is awesome. And so we remember that our God is the creator God. Our God is the God above all gods. Our God is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. If you read some of Paul's letters, he, he starts off some of his most famous prayers like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever read that before? Who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the and we get to that part where he, we're in him and we're blessed. But he always starts his prayers off with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this prayer is doing the same thing. It orients us to who we're praying to and the power he has. Okay, next slide. Uh, the, the, here, now we're getting to the money. It says, Hallowed be thy name or your name. And the hallowed, again, a weird word. But it's the same root word we get the word holy from, Right? Or Halloween, Hallow's Eve, Halloween. Now, if you're reading an ESV, it has a really good footnote. And it says, hey, this is, in English, the best way to translate this would be, let your name be kept holy, or let your name be treated with reverence. So here, when we say hallowed, the King, the King James, like, we have to say it like that, right? Hallowed be thy name, because that's just, it sounds good. But it really sounds like, Lord, let us keep your name holy, right? Now, it, you don't have to spend very much time in the Bible to find out that God cares a lot about his name. This is a big deal. Amen? I want to just show you a couple things. Romans uh, 2.24 says this. It says, For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of it. Now, I chose Romans to talk about the Old Testament because this pops up in all the prophets that the prophets begin to pronounce curses against Israel and Judah because they profane God's name. They say they belong to the creator God. Sorry for the feedback. Will you turn it down just a hair, Brian? Uh, they profane the name because they say they belong to God and they live a certain way. Right? It's like, oh, you say you belong to God, 
but then they're doing all this wild stuff, right? And God says, man, this is, you're destroying my name, right? Like, you are called by my name. That's why we have a commandment, right? That says, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. That doesn't mean cussing, friends. I'm not advocating for cussing. But it means you shouldn't take that name in vain, right? Don't call yourself a Christian, right? Don't stand up with a Christian at the strip club. The and then I'll really like, hey, just so you guys know I'm a Christian, right? And start throwing all those shenanigans, right? Like, that's taking the name in vain. Like, you are defaming the name of Christ. Amen? And this happens to me is, do you think God enjoys a good name in America right now? I mean, it hurts to say that, right? But just like that scripture is the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Gentiles are the unbelievers. So when Christians get stupid, who ultimately suffers? Whose reputation suffers? That's right. Because when the people don't know, we, we goes back to the first point. It's like our, our Father in Heaven, who are we talking to? It's all God to them, right? All these people that believe in a Creator, all these people that believe in God, look at how these people act. Who suffers? God suffers. His name is not being kept holy. Can you see that? So the prayer starts off with something that is just near and dear to God's heart. Hallowed be your name. What does that look like to you? You could pray to make sure that you are keeping God's name holy. Amen? And that's such a great prayer because that might be your speech. That might be your behavior. That might not even be about you. Right? Because you're just praying that his name would be glorified lifted up. And my wife and I often have these conversations, but I, I just wish, when I hear these terrible things, it's like, I just wish some people could separate how awesome Jesus is from the church sometimes. And this isn't a bag on the church, because I love the job. We're here at church. The church is relevant. The Bible says, do not forsake the assembly. There are wonderful people. There are wonderful churches. But you know what? Those people don't get put on the news. Amen? <laughs> the people that are feeding people, clothing people, helping people, loving people. You don't hear about those guys. And that's just the way it works, unfortunately, right? You turn on the news, you see the crazies, right? And that's just how it goes. But we don't want to be the crazies, amen? And we're not here to judge them, but we're here to remind ourselves how to live. Amen? Look at Romans 9, 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So if we go back to the Exodus event, God cares about the name. Amen? Like he, he raises people up to display his power, that his name would be great. Matter of fact, if you really want to nerd out on this stuff, is when you see God interacting with people, one of the weird promises he tells Abraham is, I will make what? Your name great, right? God's like, look, I'm, I'm going to go in on this 50-50 with you, my man, right? You be faithful, I will make your name great, right? Because Abraham's job is to make whose name great? His name great. Amen? It's not our job to make our name great. We have one job as Christians, to make his name great, to lift up Jesus. Paul said it like this, I must decrease, he must increase. How will be Next up is we have your kingdom come. Now, Matthew 4, 17, let's read this. Let's talk about it. it says, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the big storyline of the Bible Let's do this. Yeah, the big storyline in the Bible. If you haven't heard me say this, I'm really big on this. But if we go back to the beginning, the Garden of Eden, everybody is one. Right? God creates humanity and the planet. All these wonderful things are happening. Then we know the story, right? Adam and Eve get tempted. Right? The serpents in the garden. 
and they sin. And now there's a separation between God and man. God drives them out of his garden, right? And, but does God leave humanity? No, they're outside the garden. But we know that God has never left us because Adam and Eve have a couple of kids. What are the kids' names? God's talking to Cain, right? Say, hey, Cain, sin is waiting at the door. So we see there that God has never left us, right, in our sin. We're driven from the garden, but God is still always with us. That's an important point. So humanity is progressing forward. And by the time you get to Genesis 10 and Genesis 11, is the earth is really messed up. And God now is going to what the Bible, we use the term, it's called disinherited the nations. So this is the Tower of Babylon, where God divides humanity. Genesis 11, 10 and 11 is called the Table of Nations. And God separates them, and he assigns what he, the Bible calls lesser gods. I don't have time to get into this. But the idea is these nations are just given up to. And God says, look, I'm going to choose one people who's not a nation yet. And he chooses this guy, Abraham. Right? God says, look, I'm going to give the nations over to the enemy, the wicked one, the God of this world. He goes, but I'm going to keep one man, and I'm going to make a great nation out of him. Man, that's like... You know, calling your home run, right? You get up to the plate. Point to the, who did? I was going to say Babe Ruth. Who did that? It was Babe Ruth, right? The famous one where he points, right? And then it's like, come on, you call your shot. And then to actually do it. That's what God does. He said, hey, Satan, I'm going to give you all the nations. I'm going to have this one guy. Then I'm going to win. Man, that's cool, right? And he's doing it. So that's what happens. So the nations are now disinherited. Uh, Lee, give me the scripture. By the time we get to Revelation... The big promise of Revelation is this. From the seventh angel blew his trumpet, there was a loud voice in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world, the kingdoms of the world, that's what I should say, have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So the big storyline of Jesus is to come back and proclaim a kingdom because the promise by the end of the Bible is that God now reigns over the entire world and sits as a king. So Jesus shows up, and the, the gospel really is called the gospel of the kingdom. Have you ever heard that before? Because what Jesus is after, the good news is the good news of the kingdom. And when you get born again, see, sometimes we make the gospel a little bit too small. We call it, you know, the good news is that you can be forgiven from your sins and belong to God. That is great news. But it's part of a bigger meta-narrative. And the big narrative is, is that he's bringing a kingdom. Amen? That God is reclaiming the nations. Have you ever heard the expression that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess? Every knee, of every tribe, of every nation, of every people. Amen? That God wants people of all over this globe. Amen? They don't look like me. They don't look like you. Of every, every, every nation. Can you get that? What God, his humanity, his creation. He wants them all. Amen? And when you pray, your kingdom come, you're, you're participating in the big Jesus mission. His big mission is to reclaim the nations. Amen? It's not just to save people. This, look, that means a lot to us because we're saved. But his big nation is he has to inherit the nations. God said to my God, sit at my side until I make the nations. Footstool to you, right? He's inheriting the nations. God is doing something with his people. And Israel is still his chosen people. But Romans says we are grafted into this holy nation with him. Can you see that? Wonderful. So when you wake up in the morning, you pray, Lord, your kingdom like, you couldn't pray for more heavier thing because that's Jesus' mission. If you ask me, Mike, what is Jesus' mission? His biggest mission is to bring about the kingdom of God. There's a lot of ways this happens. So, pray your kingdom come. Amen.
Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Next up, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So John 6.38. So for I've come down from, this is Jesus speaking, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So this is also central to Jesus' heart, is to be about the Father's business. He needs to do what the Father sent him to do. And likewise, we need to be about the Father's business. Amen? If you ever wondered, hey, Jesus leaves, and he'd go up to the mountain, and he would pray. What was Jesus praying? We're looking at it, right? Your kingdom come. He's praying out all these things. Your will be done. Doing God's will matters. So the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the, it uses this weird word, it says Jesus is the express image of God. That word express image uh, really, uh, it means like a photocopy. He's a photocopy of God. Jesus reflected his mirror God perfectly, right? And so Jesus, everything Jesus did was in accordance with God's will. So now, if you think about this, like, okay, so when I see what Jesus does, I can equate that to God's will. In generality, right? Not specifically in generality. So was it God's, is it God's will to forgive? That's a question. Yes. Thanks, Lee. Is it God's will to love people? Yes. Does God provide for people? Yes. Does God heal people? Right? Does he restore people? Yes. All in the will of the Father. Amen? Now, we don't know how this plays out in our life, but sometimes we limit God way too much. Is there anyone that has passed God's arm? Is there anything too hard for our God? And James teaches us we have not because we ask not. We limit God by our lack of faith, our lack of, our, our lack of asking. There may be things that aren't being done in your life that are God's will, but you simply just don't pray or do anything about it. Amen? God has given us this incredible privilege to pray. And this, this is the big thing that makes people's heads spin, because if we have an all-powerful, all-knowing God who can do anything, and he can't, why does he need us? And the answer is, is that's the way he said it. He's decided that your prayers matter. It hurts my brain too, right? Because the Bible says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Right? We're made of dust. That's what the Bible calls us. We're dirt creatures. Well, except for women. I guess you, you're made a little more special than everybody else. But everything else on this earth is we're made of dirt. The Bible says from dust we're made and from dust we're going to return. Right? So these creatures, God has bestowed upon us the incredible responsibility to be his hands and feet. To pray for injustices. To, pray, to help. To feed. To love. That's a heavy responsibility. And how many Christians just forego that responsibility? Won't even pray. Well, I don't know what God's will is. That's the number one excuse I hear from people. Oh, I don't know how to pray because I don't know what God's will is. How about you just pray your will be done? How about we just start there? How about you just do something? It will be done. You don't have to know what his will is, friends. But I would argue if you stop and meditate, if Jesus perfectly expressed the Father's will, that is awesome. God's will is pretty amazing. Amen? Because Jesus is amazing. And Jesus is God's will. Amen? His word is his will. If you don't know what his will is, read, start reading this thing. Amen? It tells us all sorts of things about his will. Amen. Next up, give us this day. Now, so we've switched. So we have the three focused on God. Now we're going to switch to us. Now, give us this day our daily bread. If you're like me, I have been guilty of praying, give me my 
my daily bread. Does anyone else ever pray like that? Raise your hand. I'm the only selfish person in this whole world. Mark, Pastor Mark, the two pastors. How come pastors are always the worst guys? Okay, yeah. The scripture teaches us, give us, right? This is a communal prayer, right? When we focus just on us, we, we're defeating the purpose of the Lord's prayer. Let me ask you a question. Does Jesus know the Hebrew word or Latin or Greek or Aramaic word for me? So we can agree he didn't accidentally use us. Have you ever sent a text and you don't know how to spell a word, so you have to think of a different word? Am I the only? Raise your hands if you do. Okay, yeah. Okay, yes. I do that too. I'm like trying to sound smart. And then it's like, oh, I don't know how to spell that. And autocorrect isn't helping me. So I'm like, yeah. Let's find a three-letter word. Okay. He uses us for a reason. These next three that are people-oriented are us. Now think about the great command to love your neighbor as yourself. When your prayers only focus in on you, God is not against you praying for yourself. But if that's all you do, you just, you're missing it, friends. You're missing it. Because Christianity is not a solo sport. It's a team sport. We live in community. We do life together. We rejoice together. We cry together. You Marines and Navy people, we move together. We load up your U-Hauls, right? We do all this in community. It's, it's never meant to be alone. And it's sad that there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians, but they live alone. Amen? It's like, I, I'm, I'm the Rambo Christian. I'm, I'm always undercover, right? I'm a Marine Raider Christian. I'm just living out in the woods, doing my thing. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a team sport. Amen? Okay, so give us our daily bread. Now, can you think of anyone else in the Bible that had to pray for daily bread? Off the top of your head. Who? Israelites. Yes, Israelites. You should also remember I was a jet mechanic. I'm half deaf and a musician. So. That's right, the Israelites. So they were in the wilderness. And they got the bread that came down from heaven, which is called what? Man. In English, is, 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 what is it? Right? What is it? That's the actual real name of it. God provided daily bread for these people. So praying for our daily bread, this became a very big deal because when Israel, they saw the strong hand of God against Pharaoh. They saw what happened at the Red Sea. Now, you would imagine if you've seen all that, you're all in, right? If you see one miracle, do you think that would be enough to get you through on life with faith, Right? But not these people. And I had imagined we would be the same way. They cross the Red Sea, they're in the desert, and they start complaining against Moses and Aaron, and they're like, could you bring us out here to kill us? There's no food. Hey, in Egypt, we had leeks and onion, Popeyes, right? We had all this wonderful stuff, and you bring us out here. God gets very angry with these people because of their lack of faith for him to take care of them. So he gives them manna. Now the manna comes, and if you know the story, if you take too much, what happens to them? It spoils and it gets wormy, right? So it's like, he's very big. I'm like, just take what you need, right? Pray, this is what you, don't worry about tomorrow. Take what you need for today. So when we pray, give us our daily bread. Like there's just something beautiful to simplicity, amen? The Bible says if you have food and clothing, with that you should be content, amen? That's a hard thing because a lot of us think it's like, well, if I didn't have, uh, you know, if I didn't have my car, Right? We have all these things. If I didn't own my home, uh, all these things. But the Bible says, look, in life, it's like this is what matters. That you have, you're clothed and sheltered and you have food. Amen? That's what your Bible is. And the Bible says God knows you need these things. Now, here in Southern California, and you know, over half of us here have a military, military paycheck and we have housing, right? The rest of us have jobs. I don't think there's too many of us where this is a concern. 
But you know that there are millions and millions of people in this world that this is a concern. They don't know where the next meal is coming from. Mary, you know, I'm going to hit you up. What was the stat you just read us? Seven, that's the, the last data. 17 million kids don't have enough to eat. That hurts, doesn't it? So sometimes, and, and we, we just get like that. Like we cruise past this, give us a state, our, us our daily bread. You may not know somebody that's hungry to help them out. And I know you would if you did know. But how about praying about it? Right? It matters. Amen? Give us our daily bread. Okay, next. Forgive us. Forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, the scripture says, forgiven us. Now, this is, I mean, this is paramount to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Like Jesus says, I wonder if I got the scripture, I didn't put it here. Uh, he says, if you don't forgive, you're not forgiven, right? Like this is a big deal to God. The big deal with Christianity, I think if you didn't know anything about Christianity and you, you pulled somebody on the street, Christianity preaches a message of forgiveness. Amen? It's this idea that we've all sinned and we've missed the mark and God forgives us, right? And this is wonderful. And so we weren't forgive us, like we're, we're praying for a collective forgiveness. Now, sometimes this is tough. I wanted to kind of talk about two things with this, is forgiveness is different than reconciliation. Forgiveness takes one person. Now, one person is you. Reconciliation takes two people. So if, you're, if you've just got a problem with somebody, right, or something isn't reconciled, that's not always going to be able to happen because reconciliation takes two people. If you're willing and you've forgiven, that's what God is after, right? He's after the prayer, whoever's praying this, and then we're praying that that spirit of forgiveness rolls out in our community. Forgive us as you've forgiven us. Amen? And so... Uh, a common question that people just ask is, well, what if so-and-so has done this to me? What if this has happened? We do our best. The Bible sets us up for reconciliation. It says, if you have something against somebody, go to them with that issue. And if that doesn't work, then the Bible says, hey, okay, bring a group of people with you next time. And then bring it before the whole church. And you notice that the only time the Bible ever tells you to go one-on-one -on -one is that very first time. And after that, you're always with a team of people. That even the Bible's smart enough to know, like, hey, if that doesn't work, you probably shouldn't be alone with that person, right? Reconciliation is not always possible. Now, some people get hung up because they have these things where they've forgiven somebody, but they haven't received the forgiveness back, or the relationship is broken. They feel hypocritical praying, these kind of things. Friends, that's not, forgiveness is up to you. Reconciliation is both of you. Amen? So forgive us our debts as we've forgiven those. Amen. So we're asking God to forgive us and we're pushing that forgiveness out into the community. All right, next one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this is the one that causes the most confusion, I think, if you're a casual reader of the Bible or like you're a new Christian and you read this for the first time. Because it begs the question it's like, does God tempt me? Does God lead me into temptation? Like, uh oh, he's telling me not to do it. And we're mixing up ideas here. So let's read James chapter 1, uh, 13. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself, what? Tempts no one. So God's not in the business of tempting you with evil. 
When he says, lead us not into temptation, we're thinking about trials. Can we think of the two times the Bible says Jesus was tempted? What was the first one? He's in the wilderness. That's right, Lee. So the Bible says the Spirit, so Jesus gets baptized. He gets driven into the wilderness. And who's there? Satan. Yeah, our enemy. Jesus tempted. When's the second time he was tempted? Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible calls that his great temptation right there. He's crying out, God, lead me from this hour. He doesn't want to do it. So Jesus was tempted twice. Now, can I give you a good Jesus? I love this so much. Would you humor me? One rabbit trail, Miss Joe. If you say yes, I'm going to do it. Say it. She said sure. She's very cautious. It'll be a very short rabbit trail. I love this. If you haven't heard this. So Jesus is perfect. He's the perfect son of God. Who was God's first son of God? Israel. Called Israel his son. And there's a scripture that says, I have called my son out of Egypt, right? And it's talking about Jesus. But Israel themselves came out of Egypt, right? So Israel, the nation, they're in bondage, right? They go through the Red Sea. And where do they go after the Red Sea? Into the wilderness. Yeah, they go into the desert. Jesus gets called out of Egypt. He goes through the waters of baptism. And he gets driven into the desert to be tempted. Do you see the similarities there? And what's the first thing Satan tempts him with? The bread. What did Israel fall for in the wilderness? The bread. Do you see what's happening here? It's awesome. Come on. You've never seen that. Come on. It doesn't get any better than that. Like, Jesus is amazing. Okay, what are we talking about? Lead us out of temptation. So Jesus was tempted twice. And both those times God pushed him in that direction. The Bible says the Spirit to bring up his drove him into the wilderness to be tested. He fasted for 40 days. That's also weird. How long was Israel in the desert? Come on. Do you think that was an accident? Give me a break. It's amazing. Okay. So Jesus, the prayer here is lead us not into temptation. Now, when Jesus is in the garden, he doesn't want to be there. Does Jesus want to go to the cross at this moment in his life? He doesn't. Rewind the clock three years. I mean, he's, he's awesome. He's like, my, my time has not yet come. He's speaking boldly about his death, and he's rock solid. And the night before it's all going to go down, he's in the garden, and he's sweating blood. This is going to hurt. It's going to hurt bad. He's like, Father, is there any other so our prayer leaves us with ideas, but deliver us from evil. It's like, Lord, it is, it is completely okay to not want to go through testing. Amen? Jesus didn't want to do it. It is, I don't want to be tested. I, I really don't, because has anyone in their life gone through a testing from God? That you feel that, you know, I'm not saying God did it, but he allowed you to go into testing, and it refines you, right? It creates a new character and a testimony. So this doesn't mean that we're going to be, be not going into trials. But look, the end of that prayer says, but deliver us. So pray that you don't go into it, but if you do go into it, pray that you're delivered from that evil. Amen? So you're praying two things. One, keep me out of it, but if I do go into it, you're going to be there. Get me out of it. Amen? Because that was Jesus' strength. He said, Father, nevertheless, your will be done, not my will. Jesus said, if there's any other way, I don't want to do this. Change of plans. Time out. <laughs> you, know, you know, this is you know, this realization is hitting him. But then he surrendered God's will, right? And did God deliver him from it? Yeah, he raised him from the dead, <laughs> right? That momentary pain, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The Lord strengthened him, delivered him. It says he raised him up with an outstretched arm, right? He held captivity captive. Jesus comes out of the ground and like hundreds of other jokers are coming out of the ground with him. And did you know that? That's the weirdest part of the Bible, right? When Jesus was raised from the dead, all these other dudes start coming out of the ground. Did you know that? 
These are zombies. I don't, I don't know how this works out. It's amazing that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is so strong. The Bible says that power lives where now? In us. Greater is he who is in me than he is in the world, right? The same power that raised Christ from the grave resides in us. So let's wrap up the land of land here. This is the prayer. Do you see how much power is in these simple words? How much, like Jesus is amazing. We have six, these six ideas that help us fulfill what Jesus calls the great two commandments. And if you, I promise you, here's my challenge. You can't ask for this for a lifetime because, you know, you will all get orders in the next year or so. Would you do me a favor? Pray this for 30 days with me. Would you do that? This is my challenge to you. At least once a day. And this is what the prayer would look like. Sometimes when we say things from memory, it becomes rote. It's just rehearsal. It's like a musician playing a scale. You just, it's a scale. I don't have to think about it, right? So if, if I pick up the guitar, I can just play chords. And I can talk to you and I can play chords. Because that's rote. I just have it memorized. There's no artistic, there's no love, there's nothing going into it other than thousands of hours of playing chords, right? And you all have abilities like that too. Breathing would be a great one, right? We breathe, we don't have to think about it. The body just does it. So when we say things that are repetitious, after a while we say them as fast as we can and get out of there like that's done the trick. That, that prayer doesn't do a lot. Here's what I'm asking you to do. So maybe a prayer looks like this. It's not, it doesn't have to be long. I would pray like this. Uh, Father, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Father, I just pray that in this nation that uh, people would separate your great name from the antics of people that proclaim to speak on your behalf. It would be that simple. Right? And then I go to the next one. Your kingdom come. Heavenly Father, uh, we just pray that your kingdom would uh, continue to reach people, that Jesus Christ would be glorified. And we know, Father, that your kingdom grows as people are born again. So I pray. For those salvation, you can start praying for those who would like to see saved. Father, we pray that your will will be done. Lord, we know your will is the express image of Jesus. So, Father, I just pray. I pray for your will to be done. Father God, will you help this nation, Father God, and move us out of division into unity? Is God's will to unify people or divide people? See how that works? Just whatever's on your heart. You put that under that category. Give us this day our daily bread. Father, I pray for those in my community that just don't have enough basic necessities. Father, would you show me people that I can help out? Would you just put someone across my path, Father, that I have the resources or the ability to help, to encourage, whatever that would look like? Would you help Pillar Church to reach out to this community to feed people, Father? Father, would you help people that are just too proud to ask for help, to help us, help us meet these needs? Forgive us of our debts. Heavenly Father, we just pray, just as a community, Father, you just continue to forgive us, Father, and help us to forgive those that have wronged against us. Lord, help us to walk in this very truth, that the great love you've given us to forgive us, that we extend that same mercy out. I pray, Father, for those that are having a hard time doing it, that are having a hard time forgiving, people that have been hurt so badly, that have been abused or misused, or, Father, they have a hard time, so I pray you help them. Lord, I pray that you don't lead us into temptation. To me, the prayer looks like this. Exactly that. Lord, I know there are trials that are always for my benefit. But Father, I pray you keep me out of those trials um, that will hurt me, my family, my loved ones. Keep me from the tests and trials of the enemy. Father, will you make the crooked path straight? Will you lead me away from the enemy of my soul, the accuser of the brother? Deliver me from evil, Father. 
Deliver me from this evil. Deliver my community from evil. Keep our church from falling into the tests and trials. Father God, help us to stay on this path. See what that looks like? I know that's pseudo-prayer, pseudo-talking. But you can customize it. It doesn't have to become rote. And while you're memorizing it, yeah, I, I woke up this morning because I knew I was going to challenge you. I was like, I can't be a hypocrite on day one. And so I just said the prayer. I have this memorized, so I said it. So, does that sound good? Sound like a plan? Well, that being said, that's it. That's the Lord's Prayer. Now, uh, you know, not by show by hands, because this can be between you and the Lord. I do think he meant us to pray like this. I think this is what Jesus was praying. And because it's focused on these two commands, just get involved. I, I'm, I'm, as, as one of your pastors, I'm just I'm asking. Amen? Get involved. This is how you want to do something for this world. Prayer is always, always first. Not by our strength, by his. Amen? I'm going to pray. Pastor Mark will come up and we'll do a communion. Let's pray really quick and then we'll, uh, we'll dismiss. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for this great prayer. Jesus, you said pray like this. Lord, would you, if we forget, Lord, and I'm guilty of this too, as I leave here and we have lunch, then the, the, the cares of life come upon us first thing tomorrow morning. Lord, would you just, when you wake us up or when we go to sleep, whatever it looks like, would you just remind us to pray like this? to get involved uh, in the kingdom, Father, to get involved in prayer, and to, to move our eyes off of ourselves and onto each other and onto you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.